It's episode 119 of the Presentable Podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Dean. Today on the program is Mike Essel. He's the Dean of the Cooper Union School of Art in New York, and we're going to discuss the role and importance of formal education in the design world today. Mike, thanks so much for being on the program. Thanks for having me. It's been a while since oh, I've seen you. Man, it has. You know, our uh, our paths have crossed so many times in the uh, decades <laughs> that we've been yeah. practicing design, you know, um, uh, mostly in San Francisco when you were at Mule Design. Um, I've had uh, the both of the founders, Erica Hall and Mike Montero, on the show a couple of times, uh, and I've done so much work with them in the past, too. I feel like we've worked together, but, you know, we've, <laughs> yeah, we're we've in mostly the family. worked, uh, worked yeah. adjacently, maybe, or something like that. But um it's just great, uh, great to have you here. I'm really looking forward to just Thanks. catching up with you. Yeah, Mike and Erica were they were incredible to work with. I learned more from them in the year I worked there about like contemporary web design than I yeah. than I even knew before I got there. I think um, inc- just incredible partners, really, and an amazing body of work. They've just done yeah. so many great websites, and, uh, podcasts, yeah. and uh, political movements. Really? Uh, (laughs) um, So, look, you are uh, the dean of the Cooper Union School of Art. And, uh, you know, when I was in college, I I got to the dean's office a couple of times. It was nothing like this conversation, though. Very, (laughs) very very different. But uh, tell me just a little bit about that and like your path to get there. Oh, wow. Okay, so it's funny. I have to go all the way back to Batman. So when I was a kid, I was really into Batman. (laughs) <laughs> like super into Batman, the TV show and the, the campy sixties. Yeah. This 1960s um, with uh, Adam West and Burt Ward. Yeah, yeah. And what I know now is that I loved it because it was designed, right? Like everything was lettered. Every it was, it was so visual for mm. its time. And that led me to buy Batman comics and then led me to work in a comic book store and through this like weird series of events where I discovered like a kiss record cover <laughs> that I loved, um, I ended up figuring out what graphic design was when I was a kid. And, um, and through that is how I ended up applying to a school called Cooper union in New York city. Um, so when I applied Cooper union was free. Uh-huh. So for 150 years, 155 years, it was full tuition scholarship. Um, and then I graduated with, and with a few other partners, uh, sorry, a few other classmates, we formed a partnership and started the chopping block. Oh yeah. Which is, you know, around 1996 is, and, and we did very well for a boutique firm. You know, we had a, a pretty recognized name. I got to travel internationally to show the work, mm. but I wasn't really so satisfied with the work because we were doing a lot of entertainment work and I, I love that work like, you know, websites for movies and things like that. Right. It felt, a, it, I actually would love to pick that up again now, but at the time it felt a little empty to me. And so I went to graduate school. So at the, at the height of my company's success, I was like, you know, guys, I'm going to take a two year break. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) The smartest thing I've ever done. And then when I was there in graduate school, I got a call actually in my little, the last week of my last semester of graduate school, I got a call from a professor at Cooper Union who was like, do you want to, do you know anybody who could teach this class? And I was like, I could, I'll be there by September. And that was um, 2001. And I kind of never left. So I was adjunct first. So I taught, you know, part-time 
And then I applied to be full-time at Cooper Union, like a full-time tenure track professor. Mm -hmm. And then I, you know, six years later, I got tenure and then um, everything was great. It was amazing. So the the school at that point was still tuition free. Um, And then (laughs) our president decided to build a building we did not need and put us in debt to the tune of something like $10 million a year in debt Mm -hmm. service, which at the time that everybody would have known we couldn't afford to do that. So in, in, in my opinion, they forced our hand to start charging tuition for the first time, which is, you know, other, every other school charges most. We were the only school who didn't charge. And I could not have gone to art school if I had to pay tuition. It, it, would, have, it would have never happened for me. Right. Like my college was just not on my parents' radar, like no fault to them. They, it just was not a thing they thought about, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so I getting into Cooper Union is what, you know, it, it, it put me on the path I'm on now. So when they, they started charging tuition, the students protested and the alumni protested and there was a, an occupation of the president's office. And, um, oh, wow. All, they barricaded the doors and blocked the elevator. I mean, they were in there for like 65 days or something. It was unbelievable. Um, and the administration pretended to change their tune and was like seemed to be seriously considering reversing course. And then they announced, <clears throat> excuse me, they announced they're going to charge tuition. So <laughs> I linked up with a few friends. So I had a, a friend who was a uh, graduate of the engineering school at Cooper Union. Right. I had a friend who was a professor, a professor of engineering uh, at Cooper. And then I occupied in a way, both spots. I was a professor and an alumnus of the Cooper union. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> we raised a pile of money and we sued the board of trustees in New York Supreme court. Huh. And that's why I was living in San Francisco was because it was hostile to sue my employer and continue to be on site. Wow. So I decided, and and Mike knew all about this, Mike and Erica, and to their credit, they also knew I might leave in a year if we won. So it was very kind of them to hire me for that year. <laughs> um, it was in a way, it was a trial for San Francisco. Like, will I like it enough to stay? And what happened is, is the we got our day in court, and the judge heard our case and asked pretty interesting questions, and then it sat in limbo for a long time, <laughs> and. Meanwhile, we're like waging war on the administration the whole time the lawsuit's running in the background. And, and then we, I get a call in, in my apartment in San Francisco, and it, it's, <laughs> it's the New York Attorney General's office. And they say, we're going to join your case. We think Cooper Union should be free. Oh, my God. Yeah. So then it became a three-way negotiation between the, my group, the Committee to Save Cooper Union, the board of trustees and the attorney general's office. And I, I, I'll skip, I'll skip all the details, but the, the gist is, is that we won and the attorney general essentially forced the board to, to uh, fire the president, the five trustees who were the most vocal supporters of, of tuition. They just walked out the door the we settled the litigation with the help of the attorney general which meant which meant things like they had to do a transparent 
search for a new president. They had to put faculty on the board of trustees as observers. They had to put students on the board of trustees. They have to have an independent financial monitor auditing all their transactions and every board meeting that reports directly to the attorney general. Um, and they had to form a committee to find a way to get back to free. So, so I came back as a faculty member for one year during that time. And then when the president, you know, when, once the president was forced out, the, 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 there was an interim president. And during that time is when the faculty nominated me to be the, the, what we call the acting dean at Cooper. So it's, it's meant to be a temporary position while they do a search for a, a, the full dean. And when the new president started, um, once the search was complete, I guess I had done a good enough job that they asked me to stay as the real dean. So now I've been the dean now for over five years. Amazing. So that's a long, it's a long way to get there, but that's how I got there. That, um, that, was, that is not the, the, the traditional sort of career uh, path story that I was anticipating. <laughs> No, I, I expected to be making pictures all day at this point in my life and, and, <laughs> and designing books and doing the things I do for fun. And instead, now I'm a college administrator, which is, I really believe in the place and I believe in the plan to get back to free. So the new president and the board of trustees and the attorney general, they all worked out a plan to get back to free in 10 years. And we're we're, we're over five years into that plan and we've met all the milestones. Mm. So I'm happy to stay put until we're free. But the second that happens, I'm going to go back to teaching. Ah, got it. Got it. And, and there's a tremendous history here with the Cooper union going back to the what 1850s or something like yeah, that. 1859 it? is when right. we were founded. And our founder, Peter Cooper, he, he really believed in just access to education and that education was was really the the path to survival right mm-hmm. like to make a living to earn a wage you know so we had we've had a history of teaching design and lettering and typography we've had that tradition since 1859 phenomenal but i'm that's amazing what do you teach you do you do teach you're not just uh you know behind the, yeah, the desk so I, with paperwork all day are you <laughs> no when i'm not the dean i normally teach our introduction to design class which is called two-dimensional design which the best way to think about that is like, how do you communicate with only black triangles? You know, it's that, is that kind of class. And then I would teach the graphic design one and graphic design two class, which is the, the intro level to graphic design. Like this is what the profession is kind of class. And then I would always teach some kind of advanced class with with the goal of at, at Cooper, if you're full time, you're essentially the head of the department. But because we don't have majors, we don't have departments. So I wanted to teach in every spot where I could see the landscape of the program. Right. So teaching the first year, teaching in the second year, and then teaching the advanced class, <clears throat> I end up seeing the students move through that sequence. And it, in terms of the curricular revision and understanding what to address, it was the only thing I could think of to really understand what we were doing. Um, and I enjoyed it. There's something about the intro level classes to me that they're just so important. Right. Especially typographically, you know, like just 
building that understanding and the love for type and communication and um, really emphasizing that part in the early graphic design classes is, is I think, what makes our program work. So, right. Excuse right. Me. No, that's, yeah. So, uh, so that's, that's interesting to see that sort of that arc of education. It's one of the things that I'm, I'm particularly interested in. Um, and maybe we just jump right to that question, which yeah. is, uh, I talk to young people all the time. They ask me, you know, career advice and things like that. And often like, should I go to school for this and for what? Right. And, and it's this general, like, I want to be a designer. I want to make apps. I want, you know, or, you know, um, it, people who come to me at least are kind of self-selecting for the kind of stuff that I have always done, which has been interface design, yeah. digital design, things like that. They don't, they're not necessarily come, coming for me for advice on like, you know, how to design books or to be a comic book artist or whatever. So for me, it's like, uh, uh, should they go to school for this? If so, where do they go to school? What do they study? Should they go get that like 18 months of JavaScript front-end development, you know, diploma or what, certification or whatever? And I genuinely don't know, right? Like I come from a tradition of like almost everybody I knew when I got started in my career, we were all, there was nowhere to learn. Uh, at least there's nowhere to learn what we were doing in web browsers yeah. back then. Right. Um, and I have worked with some designers that went to the traditional like MFA programs and things like that, but the, but that's the minority in my background. Yeah. So in that, like that mix of like, I don't know, uh, you know, like, where do you come down and all of that? <laughs> some of the best designers I ever worked with did not have design degrees. I would say many even right. did not have design degrees. I'm overeducated, right? I have an MFA and I've been like a lifelong, supposedly I'm an academic. Um, but I, <laughs> this is tough. I, if you want to go to school, you should go. If you want to work in design, try to work, try, right? If, if, if schools open doors, right? Like I, I went to get an MFA because I wanted to teach and nobody would take me seriously at the New York schools unless I had an MFA. It's not, it's not really true anymore, but I wanted the time to work on my own work for grad school and, and I wanted the, the certificate, you know, like I wanted the certification that, yes, I'm credentialed enough to teach, right? With what young people are showing me these days, you know, like I have students who enter in the Cooper Union and by their sophomore year, they're, they're already designing apps and they, they already look unbelievably polished. Mm -hmm. at, at Cooper, because it's the cost is low, I, I wouldn't necessarily encourage them to drop out, but I would encourage them to reduce their credits and try to work in the field, right? right? For people who think they can just make it, like I know there's been high school students I've met that have freelance already. Yeah. that are working with teams who make apps and they're really doing it. I would say hit the pause button on school and, tr and see how it goes. And then really see if you want to go to school. Like, I, you know, college is more rewarding than just learning about graphic design. I mean, we both know this, you know, the, the social network that you make, like I'm still unbelievably supported by the peers I went to school with. Right. Yeah like the showing them my work or talking to them or asking for them for hype or for them to open a door for me or, or for me to open a door for them. I don't know how you make that network as quickly as you can in college. You can do it in the mm. workplace, but then it's, it's different. It's on a different level. 
given that, you know, every university in the world switched to online teaching for about two years, I, I think as a mode, you know, as a mode of learning, it's much more sophisticated than we gave it credit for. And so I'm, I'm much more open to some kind of idea of like learn design remote, right? Yeah. You know, either through YouTube or the tools are, I don't know, some, some of the tools in our profession are easy to, easier to learn, I would say, online than in a classroom. Um, that's, a, that's a whole other topic. <laughs> um, I, you know, the advice I would give would in a way also be based on the portfolio that was in front of me. Like if they were, if the work was at a certain level, I would say, you know, you should try to make it in the profession. If, if the work was like, let's say clearly underdeveloped, then, you know, I, I would explain that like school could help with that. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. It's tricky. Cooper's weird because we champion like practice over profession. So because we don't have majors, I teach design at Cooper and in a way run the department or the area, let's say, mm-hmm. you know, as a tactic in a larger fine art idea, right? So like everybody benefits from learning about design and typography. Everybody does, I would say, especially in art school where it's all visual because yep. everybody's going to be writing and making books of their work. And there's, there's a hundred reasons to learn that. So I have some students who have taken every design class we have to offer and are going to graduate and become designers. And I have other students who their whole, their whole practice is in painting and they've arrived at design maybe a little late. Right. right. And what happens in our classrooms is kind of amazing because of that, because we're not all, all the students aren't in design and in a major. Mm-hmm. They bring a discourse from sculpture. They bring a discourse from painting. They might bring a technical aspect of silkscreen to the critique. It's a very different kind of program because of that. And it's also structured in a way. So when I hire a new professor in design, I'll, I'll often say like no faux client work. Just don't do that. It's lazy. Don't do that. You know, you'd be better off describing a vessel and having them put their own content into that vessel than assigning the the content. Yeah. Right. So that the student has a place for their voice and their interests. And then they're they're moving it through a system you've asked them to address, Mm. which for me is a much better assignment model than, you know, and I and I, I talked about this recently, but. Like when I went to Cooper Union, Paul Rand taught there. Uh-huh. And for those of you who don't know, he's a very well-known logo designer. And, you know, Paul was like, we're all going to redesign the Exxon logo. Right. And I was like, cool, bro. I'm dropping this class. Thanks so much. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, I had my whole life to have the concerns of a client on my back. Right. Do, do I need those in undergrad to really learn the profession? Someone, some would argue you do, and I would argue that you don't. Um, and that, and in a way, this cuts back to what you know if you should go to school or not, right? Be, because you know, if you're looking for like vocational training, you, there are many ways to get that online, two year programs, JavaScript school. I even did like a PHP boot camp. Right. right. I, I get it. Um, 
but then there's the other side, which is like my shorthand for that is the poetry side. Like, why do we make design? What does it address? Who's the audience? What does it do for culture? What, you know, what, what does it mean to use this typeface at this time? Like this is a little esoteric for vocational training. Right, right, Uh, right. Interesting. Um, Hold that thought. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come right back with more. This episode of Presentable is brought to you by Pingdom from SolarWinds. Today's internet users expect a fast way of experience. Doesn't matter how well you've targeted your marketing content or how beautifully you've designed your website, they'll bounce if a page is loading too slowly. So with real user monitoring from Pingdom, you can discover your website performance and how it affects your visitor's experience. You can take action before your business is impacted. All of this for as low as $10 a month. Whether your visitors are dispersed around the world or across browsers, devices, and platforms, Pingdom can help you identify bottlenecks, troubleshoot performance, and make informed optimizations. Real user monitoring is an event-based solution, so it's built for scalability. This means you can monitor millions of page views and not just take samples of your data. And you can do that at an affordable price. Get live site performance visibility today with real user monitoring from Pingdom. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now. Get a 30-day free trial with no credit card required. Then, when you're ready to buy, you can use the code PRESENTABLE at checkout to get an awesome 30% off your first invoice. Thanks to Pingdom from SolarWinds for their support of this show and RelayFM. All right, so uh, you just mentioned sort of putting design into a bigger cultural context. And it's really interesting because, you know, my own educational background was very classically liberal arts, right? Like declaring a major and a minor and a little bit of everything and a few, you know, electives and all of that stuff. And on paper, none of it had anything to do with my career, but I felt like that foundation, right? Like working through ethics and philosophy and learning, like taking so many history courses in which I had to take a tremendous amount of information and synthesize it into a, uh, you know, into a theory and defend that and communicate it well, uh, and things like that. And, um, and, uh, and that has been my concern. I don't know if this is generational or not, but with kids feeling like they're getting out of high school and they're already way too far behind, or, you know, for getting into their career. And so they immediately like do the boot camp and go straight into a company and they don't know how to collaborate or communicate an idea very well, or have any underpinning of like, what is the right thing to do here rather than the, you know, the thing I've been told to do all of that stuff. So, yeah, I mean that I, you know, there's a strong argument that the art school basically is a liberal arts degree, right? You know, right. we have the art history requirements and the, the humanities requirements. And, you know, it's just that it's more, you, you know, you're producing things that are just a different materiality than the writing you would do in a liberal arts college, right? right. The, the the path to get there is very similar. Um, it's like I'm overtrained for what I do, right? I don't, I don't need an MFA to do book design for DC comics. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't need an MFA, but I would argue my typography is better because of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I, yeah, I don't, you know, I don't know, like the two best programmers I've ever worked with in my life, like who were fluid and adaptable and could see, you know, had real eyes for what we were working on, not just the structure of the thing. Um, they both had philosophy MFAs, Mm -hmm. both of them. 
And they, you know, they had never taken a, like a coding class in their life. And I had never felt more of a partnership with a, with someone who wrote code than I did with, than working with them. Um, and, and one of the, I mean, one of my best friends who he actually passed away a few years ago, but he got, he ended up getting an MFA in design, but when I met him, he was completely self-taught and I, I can say this without flinching. He was much better designer than I was like an unbelievable formal talent. And, and he would always laugh like, yeah, I didn't go to school for this. I went and got a liberal arts degree. And I do think there's something in that about you are just a better designer. The more, you know, right. Just period. Like, I don't know. I don't even care what it's about. Like, if it, it, like right now, I know a lot about Minecraft speed running. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> um, just because I, I keep watching <laughs> it. Yeah. I have a nine-year-old and, um, and the jargon and the way they build the techniques and all it's like, it, it's that culture is, I don't know where I'm going with this, but that, that kind of, all those things we pick up inside of those cultures, no matter what they are, will inform how you make design. Right, right. Oh, for sure. No, I could tie it together very well. Like uh, you can be, you can do better at presenting your work by watching great streamers on Twitch. You'll learn a lot. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And so yeah. I think, yeah, that, uh, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. It, it really does. There's also, I get accused by my friends of um, spending a lot of time learning how to save time. Like in design scripting and yep. batch processing and all those things. And I really admire the speedrunners, the way they keep shaving seconds off. <laughs> there's something very motivating about it to me. Yeah, yeah. No, there is. There is. Um, and there's, you know, that's, that's, um, there's also a connection there to collaboration. And, um, and, and here, I'll put, I'll put this out here. One of the, um, slight hesitancies and maybe even bias is a better word that I've had has been, when I encounter a, a designer who has only been to art school uh, and has never shipped a product, right? And, the, ah, and right. like, how do you learn shipping? And that is something I've always been super interested in and felt like that's kind of something you have to do on the job that you have to, or, or, or maybe not, but, um, but I've been curious about that. Like being able to create something that's beautiful and wonderful and um, uh, an aesthetic is one thing, but, can you do the multiple iterations with a team that has very different objectives, you know, than, than you necessarily do? It's funny. We have one web design class at Cooper Union. I mean, we, we only accept 60 students a year. So only about 10 to 15 of them actually move through the design process. We're, it's just very small. And we have a class called Interactive Design Concepts, which is, is much more about students have ideas and they figure out through code and the web how to make those ideas. And that started in processing, like, I don't know, 10 years ago mm -hmm. and is now in glitch, right. Is hosted yep. on the web. Yep, yep. And that class is where the more ephemeral ideas happen, you know, like a, a short-term project, uh, a, a quick thing. Uh, it's more art making through web practices than right. it is web design. Right. And I felt the need to add a, like a, a really straightforward web design class. And I even said to the professor, I said, the thing that frustrates me when I, when I looked at portfolios, when I had the design firm is that you would see a mock-up and there would be a button on it 
And, you know, that button might be checkout or something. And it looks great, right? But there's no screen after it that explains that the designer had to make the 200 other buttons and pages that correspond to that checkout button right. and all the paths it can take and the right. funnel and the, how the nav breaks down once you're in the buying, pro- you know, all the, all those things. And I said to him, I was like, it has to be real. Like it has to be as real as you can get in 15 weeks with them because I, they can't go show like Figma mock-ups or whatever people right. are using these days and not be able to answer those questions of like what happens on the next screen when I do this and yep. why, why is the path through this like this? And you're absolutely right. I learned that on the job. I had to learn it on the job, right? You know, like even learning the like Unix commands to like tell net into the server and make every, all the permissions work. And, you know, I went to art school, so that stuff did not come very easy, but the, that one requirement on the web design class, like that it had to be quote unquote real, which is very alien for us. Like I said, no fake client work, right? right? I'm not so naive as to think that that would have been okay in a web design class because the, the production cycle in the web is so fast mm-hmm. that if you don't at least get all, all the iteration and all the extra screens and how adding one one more link adds 10 more pages, like that that conceptual model. Yeah. I needed them to enter into the workplace with that model in their head if they wanted it. Right. We have an after effects class that's in a way similar. It's a motion graphics class. And there is a strong emphasis on what the final project should be like a real deliverable of a mm-hmm. of a work of motion graphics. So there's a little, it's, we're definitely more focused on say the poetry than other schools, but when it's required, when the professionalization part is required, we don't, we don't hesitate to bring it in, at least in design. Interesting. That that's a good word. Professionalization. You know, this, this, this idea of, uh, you have your craft, but you also have a way of being, um, in the world or in your organization or wherever you end up. Right. Um, it's uh that's uh, you know speaking of our our kids it's something that i've tried to tried to communicate to them you know like this idea of uh as simple as keeping your word like if you're going to agree to do something just make sure you do it or don't agree you know that sort of stuff um it's really it's really interesting in the dynamics of how that plays out once you get into a team and the trust and all of that kind of stuff so when i started doing design which was like for my my high school yearbook on <laughs> Aldous freehand in the yearbook office. Um, I was so focused on the tools, like learning to make mechanicals and learn all, all the technical trade. It didn't even occur to me that it was say about participating in culture, <laughs> you know, that it, that, that I was adding something right, right. to the world, whether, whether it was a printed thing that, that part of it had completely escaped me until college. Um, and then I did become in a way extra professionalized because I learned the web and became more entrepreneurial in a way. Yeah. And, and, and in a way that's, it, that was where all the roads were leading in the nineties was that we were going to form this company and likely sell it and all those things. And, um, and I think what I regretted was how fast I 
that sort of professionalization gelled for me because then I felt stuck, which is a really privileged place to be is that I, you know, I felt like I, you know, I, (laughs) this is embarrassing a little, like I had done everything I wanted to do. I, you know, started a firm, I toured with my work, uh, you know, made a pile of money, like all the, all the things that I thought were, would be in the distance for me. Right. Were almost immediate when I graduated from college because of the web. Uh-huh. It, I, in a way I went to graduate school to go back to that. Um, why I make design in the first place, which is just truly that I love to make pictures. Like I love it. I'm, I'm much more on the art side than the problem solving side mm-hmm. of our profession. Like the, like I knew flash was half baked when it started, but what we loved about it was that you could make pictures. Right. And that the pictures could be interactive. And, and that was where all of our success was in the beginning was we were incredible picture makers who also knew the tools, you know, yeah. and, and, I, 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 after like a, you know, a a five year run in the web design game, I went back to graduate school to, to just think about why I like to make pictures. This sounds a little flat, but I, I got into design for that very reason, the form of it, like, you know, the typography, I didn't really get in it to make tools and websites are I hate to use this word because it sounds pejorative, but they're just tools now. <laughs> you know, my experience at, at when I worked in San Francisco, not so much for Mule's clients, but for the work at large. Yeah. And it hasn't changed very much was like, essentially, there are now two websites. There's the website with the lifestyle photos where people are enjoying your product. Or there's the website with the flat graphics where you get the screenshots of the product and, you know, and then there's new sites, I guess. But in terms of like what I used to be approached for, for design, that started to be what the two, the two sites, everybody seemed to be wanting. And then Squarespace came and essentially drank my milkshake. Right. So like I was making all this money on small boutique websites then Squarespace comes along and I'm even now saying to my clients or potential clients, I'm like, just hire somebody to do that for you on Squarespace. You don't need me. Right. You don't need a CMS. Right. Um, and you know, all of that, I don't know, all that professionalization, running a company, having employees, setting up a retirement fund, benefits packages. I was like, all right, grad school sounds fun. That sounds like a vacation. I'm going to go do that. Yeah. Um, I forget how we got here, but <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. I've, you, you just made me think, though, that perhaps uh, uh, it's it's finally becoming the time to just make pictures again now that we have NFTs. You know, gosh, <laughs> yeah, I guess you might be right about that. Um, I so at Cooper Union, the process for um, for applying for tenure is you know you make a package of all your work, and so you make a package of all your work. And up until that point, every time I showed my work to the faculty, who the, the people who would review me for tenure, the feedback I got back on the web work specifically was, it's too entrepreneurial for us. We're in art school, right? It's a little too, and at the time I was doing a lot of web work that didn't even have clients, just weird personal projects. But the web in their mind, and 
I don't, I don't mean to be negative. I just think that their characterization of it was entrepreneurial and not right. artistic. So about a year before, two years before I went up for tenure, I got a call that was like, <laughs> my friend Brett was like, do you know anything about Batman? <laughs> and I know a lot about Batman. And so I, in I, that led to me designing a book for DC comics and Chronicle books about Batman. And I switched my whole practice over and, just kept taking the book work that was coming my way. And sh- sure enough, when I went out for tenure with a portfolio of all book work, there were no questions about the entrepreneurial nature of my work. It was, very, it was a very interesting switch. I, I wouldn't say I switched practice in order to get tenure. I really switched because bookmaking allows for the kind of picture making that I don't think the web allows for anymore. And I think that's where I really excel. Yep. And, and also the way front end code got industrialized, you know, automated things like grunt. I don't even know if they use that stuff anymore, but you know, like SAS, all the simplicity of it, what really drew me into that. And I know that's still there, but, at a high level to make websites now, you need a team. And I was doing it mostly as a solo proprietor. Yeah, there really is some outrageous specialization that's happened, especially in front-end development. Um, yeah, it's unbelievable. Where, where now we we uh, we script robots to make websites. Yes. Or no. web stuff at all, really. So, um, hey, let me ask one last question, kind of looping back to earlier, you were talking about uh, learning design remotely. And I know you've... Probably had a, you know, the trial by fire that everybody else had over the last eighteen months. Um, you're back open now. Yeah, we're 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 mostly in person. We have some here and there. There's a, a couple classes that have some things on Zoom, like visiting guests, and yeah, it did it did open up a lot for us in terms of, you know, I have a friend in LA who'd like to speak in my class. Is right. that possible? I could have never flown somebody out before. Um, and we could have been doing that the whole time, but now that it's like more standard, we do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, what here's what we found was um, the disciplines at Cooper that were screen-based to start with, design, video, a- anything where you use a computer to make a thing, the enrollments in those classes were very strong all through the pandemic. And what I heard from the faculty and the students was that in some ways, talking to a student on Zoom while we share their screen is much better than me leaning over their shoulder while they're in front of the iMac in the lab. There's a much more agency when this, when it is the screen you're looking at. Yeah. Right. And you can interact with them in that moment, right in the screen. It's like, as if you're collaborating right through, I mean, you are, but right. Like the, there's that weird thing when you're teaching where you almost want to grab the student's mouse, you know, and be like, oh, no, no, you just, you got to, with Illustrator, it's dumb. You got to click nothing before you click, you know, right. like there's all these little tricks that you just do that you want to, you want to show them in the moment. And with Zoom, it was much easier to convey those things like while we were talking with the document right in front of us. Yeah. And video is the same. The motion graphics class is the same. Our film video is the same. We we had real drop off in things that require the use of on-site tools. So 
We have paper making at Cooper Union, although that did okay in the pandemic, it did not thrive, right? We have bronze casting. We, you know, we have things that you just can't do at home. But we we were able to do things, which is a little crazy, but we we did start doing things like sending video cameras to students who were remote, sending animation light boards to students who were remote. We made like home silkscreen kits for students who were remote. But but design just to cut back to your question, it really thrived, I think, because of the conditions of how we already make our work, you know? Right. I did independent study. I didn't teach during the pandemic. I did only independent studies and we did those entirely on Zoom. And I was able to give the students more of my time because it was on Zoom than otherwise, because it's just so easy. Right. You know, if, if, if they stop by my office and say, do you have a quick 10 minutes? It's almost like, the answer is almost always no. <laughs> I don't have a quick 10 minutes. But if they see that I'm online, they know that maybe I'm available for Zoom. It's kind of a, it's just there's a lot to it. Yep. There was, yep. you know, the ne- the negative is the social, you know, the back and forth right. with the entire class and the the way you can read the room for your comments in person is a lot of that is lost on Zoom, I think. The part where you really connect with the students was harder in the group setting, but you could change that with individual meetings. Because on in individual meetings, I thought Zoom was was fine, worked yeah. great. Actually, yeah. you know, I'm curious about that because so much of what you were talking about at the beginning of our conversation was around the accessibility of education, right? And uh, and it just makes me wonder if the work that you are doing or the work that is happening in other design institutions could be made more broadly accessible now that we are getting better at remote technology, you know? Um, but at the same time, then how do you, like the value of the alumni network you were talking about uh, comes from, you know, hours in the hallways, right? So uh, so there's something interesting that that I think the pandemic is going to influence and um, and I'm just very interested to see where that goes. Yeah, the, the, one of the art school jokes I've heard at a couple different institutions is the best critique you get is at the bar after critique, right? right? <laughs> and, and, you know, when people are more honest and can speak to you one-on-one, and, and I think there's a lot of truth to that, which you would definitely lose in an all online. You know, that social part where the work is what you share, so that's what you talk about a lot. Like, I'm guilty of, like, almost all my friends are graphic designers. It's terrible. Um, but the, talking to them about the work and about where we are in our lives and it's necessary for me to survive, you know, right. like to, to feel like I'm in the profession at all. Um, so I think a lot of that would be lost on zoom for sure. Um, uh, but you know, you say that and then you feel old <laughs> because like in a year that'll change, right. you know, um, that's the thing that really is, is, is it's hard to make these kinds of predictions when things are moving so fast. Absolutely. But, you know, I, I even imagine, and I, I know, I think, I think I'm in the minority on this. I actually think VR is real and will be a real thing and I'm terrified about it, but I've used it enough that I, I actually think there's something to it. Yeah. Like, do I want to make design in VR? I don't know if I do, but I would like to try. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'd like to see a tool that facilitated that maybe. 
or for both of us to enter some kind of space together to look at design. Yeah, you know? right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And ha- have that feel somehow more visceral, but you know, it's also like then suddenly you have like, you're putting ads over my eyeballs. So there's always going to be a trade-off there. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, well, this has been great. Um, wonderful conversation. Amazing story about how you got there. Uh, where can people learn more? Where should we send them? Um, so I'm on Twitter as ESSL. Uh, uh, you've been warned, you know, you can follow <laughs> it if you want. Um, I, the, the project I'm working on now is pretty crazy. Um, I have an Instagram account called Bwam, which is like B underscore W underscore H underscore A underscore M. So it's from a Marvel comic, yeah. uh, a sound effect. Um, and if you just Google the word BWAM, B-W-H-A-M, you'll find it. Um, so during the pandemic, because I've been the dean now for, you know, the, over the two years of the pandemic, and the pandemic was so crazy, I started, I couldn't freelance. I just didn't have the time to make books anymore. Yeah. So I started making a collage every day of Marvel Comics lettering. So hand lettering from anywhere between say 1961 and 1999. Um, And I I started making these collages more as like formal experiments, but then they, I realized I could either through the words that are included or the way the typography is drawn, I could either have them be themed or convey a meaning or be very pointed say towards the election. And I made, I made over 400 of them. I made one a day. And I'm still making a few, but I'm because these are all Marvel. I'm I'm running out of material a little bit. I've used almost every one I want to use. But what's amazing is that I'm in talks now with an agent to. I mean, I, I we're doing it. I'm doing a book of the collages. Fantastic. So yeah, it's fantastic, and that that we're gonna. I think the final files are due in April, so probably in 2022 that book will come out. Um, yeah, I'm really excited because also because, um, to officially work with this material is a lot different than just using it bootleg on Instagram. So to, to, to be able to come in and, and have access to all that artwork and to the creators who made it. And I'm most of my career in book design was with DC comics. So now to be on the Marvel side, which is where my love is really for comics, um, I, I'm, I'm, I couldn't be happier, man. It's amazing. Oh, fantastic. Congratulations. That's great. Thank yeah. you. I'll put a link to that uh, in the show notes for this episode. Definitely go check that out. I'm just scrolling through it now on my screen. It's gorgeous stuff. Really Thank well you. Done. That's awesome. Well, Mike, uh, wonderful to have you on the program. Thanks so much. Oh, thanks for, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. And that's another episode of Presentable. Hey, got any questions? You can email us at hello at presentable.fm or get in touch via Twitter by following Presentable FM. We hope you've really enjoyed the show. And if you do, could you take a moment and give us a rating on iTunes? It really helps and we'd really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Jeffrey Veen and this was Presentable. Presentable.